It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh, and today is Trans Visibility Day. I am so excited to be talking to this award-winning writer, activist, and media strategist dedicated to Black transgender liberation. Raquel Willis, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Of course. Thank you for having me. I feel like it was lifetimes ago that we got to <laughs> hang out at the Ms. Foundation Gala and chill with Gloria Steinem, and I got to hear you talk, and it was so electrifying, and we were in a room with a whole bunch of people. It was just great. <laughs> it was. It was so great. We became besties in an instant. <laughs> And so now we're, you know, we're, we're two years into a very different world than the one that allowed us to gather all together like that, <laughs> but, um, but we're, we're, we're starting to reemerge. Um, I thought that you had some of the most beautiful things to say in the summer of 2020. And I just, on, on this Trans Visibility Day, I just wanted to give you a platform to reflect on, on where we are in the country and, and how if we have, have we grown? Wow. Well, that is a big question for sure, Jess. It is. <laughs> well, you know, I think the summer of 2020, you know, that aftermath of the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, Tony McDade, Breonna Taylor, so many more. And of course, we were still kind of in the early stages of the pandemic. Mm -hmm there was such a fire and, and a fury within everyone to kind of figure out, okay, well, what kind of world are we going to come back to, hopefully when we get to maybe a later stage in this pandemic? And, you know, I think that a lot of that fervor was kind of uh, chewed up by that 2020 election. Um, of course, we saw the insurrection, but, you know, I think for the trans community in particular, we are realizing that, you know, visibility isn't going to save us. Um, mm. We have to not only have that visibility, but we also have to be living in some values that are deeper. We have to be about that action. And we also have to be about our vitality. And I mean, how, how do we do that? Like, how can you possibly ask people to maintain joy and vitality when when laws like the ones we're seeing in Idaho and Florida and all over the country are are being passed to to roll back the clock on um on treating trans people with dignity I, it's not even it's not even like it, it's it's rights it's the most basic of foundation it's recognizing the humanity of people's existence um it's got to be so hard to to maintain that that attitude of resistance, that energy. It is difficult, but you know what sustains me is learning about our history. You know, trans mm -hmm. people have been here throughout time, honey. Mm -hmm. Do not let these folks <laughs> lie to you. Everyone understands to some extent the pressures that gender puts on all of us, whether you're trans or not. So, so that is comforting, just knowing that history, 
I was so heartened to also be a part of a space created to hear from trans youth, the trans youth town hall. Um, I worked with uh, Logo TV on that. Folks can find the the third installment of that and the final one on YouTube right now, but building spaces where we can commune together because isolation is really one of the hardest parts, I think, of being different, of being on the margins. But if you can find other folks where you can commiserate, you can throw some shade at the systems that are keeping you <laughs> down and find new solutions to make it through them, then, then you've got it figured out. I have been really interested to read all of the pieces that came out about how spending time in isolation, um, sort of being away from the heteronormative male gaze of the world, um, caused a lot of people to have some serious conversations about their own gender with themselves. And there are a lot of folks that emerged from pandemic with, with a more gender expansive identity than they went into with. Has, has that been something that you've discussed in your circles? Have you seen that happening as well? And, and do you have any thoughts on it? Interestingly, I think maybe in my personal uh, circles, no, because, you know, I, I guess I tend to attract folks who have been out for who a have while, been out. Yes. right? <laughs> um, but I will say, I think that I, I have definitely heard that narrative that folks had more time to kind of go into a bit of a cocoon because we were forced to um, right. and hopefully emerge more uh, resilient, more self-assured on the other a side. A queerer butterfly than you would have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you have a debut memoir coming out next year that I am very excited mm. about. I believe in our power. Um this is next year. So are you in the process of writing it right now? And and how much does the history play? Is Are we getting the history of Raquel or are we getting the history of Transamerica or a little bit of both? Um, definitely a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, I guess I too sing America in some ways, <laughs> but um, no, I am done with the writing. The manuscript is Ooh, in, honey. We are oh, in the editing process. Congratulations. So. That must have felt good. <laughs> I got the, I got that deadline met. I felt so good about that. Um, but you know, the book is really not kind of an origin story per se about me and my womanhood, although that kind of unfolds throughout the narrative. It's really about my journey as an activist, as an organizer coming into my commitment to social justice. And as a black trans woman, looking at all of these different social movements that I've been a part of. So whether it's the movement for Black Lives or this current era of the LGBTQ plus movement, or even the current era of the feminist movement. Um, it's been an interesting journey to say the least. Well, yeah. I mean, as somebody whose identity lives at the intersection of several social justice causes, it feels like you should be centered in several social justice movements. <laughs> um, that just makes sense to me. <laughs> but but I, I like I that's the piece of this that I wanted to talk to you about, because I think a lot of especially young people right now are looking mm. at all of this and and they're you know, they're feeling the nihilism like they're feeling they're feeling a lot of despair and they're feeling like they don't know where they fit in to a story of progress. So so that's the question I want to ask you is like, when did you. When did you first conceive yourself as an activist voice and, and what what made you take those first steps? You know, I was engaged in 
activist work bef- long before I knew it would could be considered activism. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess I can start as a kid. As a kid, yeah. I, I knew I was different. Um, I knew I had a story to tell that wasn't one that I was being exposed to. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I, I had this conviction that I could use my story to, to shift other people's perceptions. I just had to get to the point where I was selfish to do that. In college, I mean, I met other queer and trans folks and, you know, we were, for many of us, living our truth for the first time. We were pushing to try and get policies changed on campus to encompass gender identity. And so that was a bit of activism. But, you know, I, I, I consider my, I guess, in a weird way, finishing school of organizing, community organizing and activism. (laughs) I love that phrase. (laughs) To be Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, it was there that I met other Black, queer, and trans folks really for the first time in a serious way. We were working with groups like Solutions Not Punishments Collaborative, Southerners on New Ground, and so much more to try and change the conditions of the South. And I think It was there that I really found a new appreciation for being a Southern Black trans woman because, I mean, the South is slept on, but so many of the activists and social justice modalities that we use have come out of the struggle and the strife that people have had in the South. Of course, the progress that people have made in the South. I mean, look at like Georgia was the culmination of years of activism. Mm -hmm. Like that was not just like, you know, I mean, so much credit to Stacey Abrams, so much credit to Stacey Abrams. But she came in at a moment when a foundation had been laid by activists going back longer than Stacey Abrams had been alive. And I think we, we sort of, we miss that piece when we talk about like, oh, look what happened to Georgia. All of a sudden it flipped blue. That's amazing. Oh my God, Arizona flipped blue. We forget that like there were decades of organizing being done by indigenous activists on the ground in Arizona, by black activists in Georgia to make these things happen. And the progress feels incremental until it doesn't. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I will say, you know, to Stacey's credit, um, Mm -hmm. she has been very vocal about that long history of uh, social justice in the South. And actually, I, I will also say I met her for the first time in 2016. So, you know, a few years before she was really pushing to run for governor, I think she was doing kind of an exploratory thing. But I was in a gaggle of Black activists, you know, from the movement for Black Lives. And I really appreciated that she was doing her due diligence to reach out to us beforehand, right? Because even in 2016, people who were associated with BLM were so still so stigmatized that that really meant a lot to me to meet her and and just see her ambitions and hear about them uh, uh, in person. So I, when going back to that moment when people when when people in the movement for Black Lives were it was it was harder to find an audience. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you maintain hope when that is like what like what are your tactics for for hope maintenance when <sighs> shit looks really bad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know it sounds cheesy, but it's really knowing your history. I mean, I can't underscore that enough for... I don't think that sounds cheesy. I think that sounds revelatory. <laughs> like most people are like, I don't know. I, you know, I play happy music. I, I go to bed on time. I, <laughs> I talk to my friends. Like, like knowledge doesn't usually enter into the self-care equation. So talk more about that. 
Yeah, well, I think one of the biggest attacks that we get from the right is this idea that some of these issues are new, right? The conversation around critical race theory and the hate for um, the movement around anti-racism or the movement for Black lives, that is not new people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is built into the fabric of America. And, and part of the reason they don't want things like CRT, which isn't even really being taught to youth, right? But they don't, they don't want anything about the racial dynamics of the U.S. to be taught to the youth. They don't want to, people to know about the history of feminism and LGBTQ folks is because they don't, they don't want us to feel rooted. And, and not when you're not rooted, it, it's, it's easier for your opponents to knock you off. And we have to push against that. We have to reclaim our history, hold it close. There have been queer and trans people throughout time, feminists and, and people searching for Black liberation throughout time. That is so key. We have to come together in community. I mean, you know, the internet is great. People can find community on the internet, but at some point you gotta, you gotta meet the people in person if you can and, mm -hmm. and figure out how to get those solutions together, maybe for your immediate community to start and then maybe it will spill over into something bigger. And then in terms of hope, I mean, it's also about just remembering that you just deserve joy. I mean, at the bottom <laughs> line, you deserve the life that you want you deserve to craft it the way that you want and no one can take that away from you so even when we're talking about these tragic uh dynamics in our society we have to build out space to heal space to rest and space to to be joyful what are the things that you would most like to see in in the next year or two like what are the what are the markers that would make you say yes we are on the right track wow that's a big question um the thing that comes to my mind immediately is i want us especially on the left or folks who are social justice oriented to we've got to get back to those basics of solidarity and co coalition building. I mean, those are those mm -hmm. are the things that you know the MLK has told us about that the Angela Davises continue to tell us about, um, and we have to do that work. We have to bridge the gap between anti-trans legislation and the fight against reproductive justice and the fight against voting rights, because all of these are about restricting people. It's about tearing down bodily autonomy and self-determination. How can we do that? We've got to talk about the, the epidemic of violence that's plaguing Black trans women, Latina trans women, and obviously the state violence that we see happening to other Black folks and the anti-Asian attacks mm -hmm. and and attacks against our migrant family. I mean, all of this is connected people and we've got to figure out how we can build those inroads. So so I want to end on, on a message to young folks that are listening. One of our, one of our very long time listeners has his 20 year old daughter listening today. It's her birthday. So happy birthday, oh, Mackenzie. But like for, for folks <laughs> like that, like what's the first step that they should be taking? If they're listening to this and they're like, yes, I want to be a part of the fight. Is it opening a laptop? Is it is it painting a sign? Like what 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 what's the first step? 
it can I think for most people, it starts with reading, exposing yourself to new ideas that can be following people that maybe you wouldn't naturally um, follow, following, you know, like for instance, for me, you know, yes. in the aftermath of uh, even this week, as I'm learning so much more, um, in the aftermath of what happened at the Oscars, we're mm-hmm. not going to go down that rabbit hole, you don't have hole, to. <laughs> but the conversation around alopecia. Yeah. I mean, yes, I'm a black woman. I know what it feels like to feel discriminated against because of my hair. I mean, I, child, I felt that even prior to transition because I've had natural hair for when I was a teenager, you know, in the right. 2000s, it was not cute the way it's cute now. Um, <laughs> it and... was always cute. We were just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, um, you know, I was reading more from my uh, disabled Black sisters and siblings, um, and, like Kia Brown and Melissa Thompson and so many others, because Yes, you know, I'm a black woman, but I don't have alopecia. I don't have a disability. Right. Um, and I needed to learn more about my ableism, right? Whether casual mm-hmm. or, or, you know, deeper than that. And so, yeah, I think it's about that. It's about exposing yourself to new ideas, reading the thoughts of other folks. I also think that we don't talk about the internal work enough. Yes. You have to get to a certain point of healing, I think, or at least be committed to a certain um, type of healing to be open and and receptive in a new way to understand other people's experiences. 100%. And and listening to those other, like listening to voices of communities that you don't necessarily belong to yourself, I think was the thing that broke my brain open. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that there are activists all over the country who, if they really sat down, that's what they would say, lit the fire. And that's what makes you think about yourself and your own place within those communities, interacting with those communities, how you show up, how you want to show up. I can't wait for this book. I am so excited. It's called, I Believe in Our Power. I will obviously have you back on as soon as people can pre-order. But Raquel Willis, I wish you the most joyous day today. I hope you have the absolute best time. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jess. You too. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 